Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Cricket with an Accent. Now you might be wondering, you're listening to a different voice today, and that's true, because I have grabbed the mic of the host from Sakib today, and for a very special reason. My name is Aftab Khanna. I'm a regular on the pod as a guest. You've heard me a few times before, but today I'm your host. And the reason for that is today we are recording the 100th episode of Cricket with an Accent. And so we thought we'll do something a little bit different for this episode. We'll put Sakib in the chair of being a participant or a panelist, and we'll bring some of the more other regular guests on the podcast together to discuss a little bit about the history of this podcast, but more broadly about how is the world of cricket podcasts evolving and how are cricket fans themselves evolving in how they engage with digital media around the game and how does it, com- it compare to some of the other sports that we see. How will this space and medium evolve over the next few years? And we put our hats looking towards the future and try and understand what is out there for a cricket fan as they engage with the sport through this various mediums of fan engagement and digital media that exist today. So we'll look a little bit into the past, but much more ahead into the future. And hopefully you'll enjoy this perspective that we provide on the medium that we interact with you almost every other week. With that, let me introduce my panel today. Of course, there's Sakib, who's who's the host uh, of this podcast. Sakib, thank you for joining your very own podcast and for doing 100 episodes. Anytime. And uh, I'm sure most listeners who tune in today will know that you can do this job, you know, close eyes much better than me. And Aftab, uh, I can speak for Vijay and uh, others and Sahil, the regulars. Uh, we all are in pretty much off your command of the language and how concise you can make this. Look, I've already wasted your introduction. I'll go on mute now to introduce the others. I appreciate it, Sakib. Uh, next on my round table is podcast regular, podcast superstar, Vijay Arumugam. Vijay, thank you for joining. I know it's late at night at Sydney. Appreciate you extending the time for us. Yeah, thank you very much, Aftab. I'm not so sure whether you could call me a, a superstar. I don't think I'm one. Well, podcast regular, yes. Uh, I mean, congratulations, Sakim, on your 100th episode. Uh, I'm glad to be, I think I've done 10 out of your 99 shows. So this is the 11th one. So I've done a tiny bit uh, in your 100th journey. Thank you for having me over here again. Right. And last but not the least is Sahil Sharma, again, from the wonderful land of Australia. He's based in Melbourne, also late night there as we record. Sahil, thank you for joining. Uh, For those of you who are fans of Sakev, you've probably heard Sahil talk on his uh, movie podcast as well, where they go very deep into into specific movies and movie themes. Do do check that out. I'll put in a plug for that in in the podcast note. But uh, Sahil, thank you so much for joining. Thanks a lot, Aftab. And congratulations, Sakib. And I would just like to say that it's an absolute privilege. I found uh, Sakib's podcast very late, uh, I think in 2021, late 2021. And then uh, I must say that I have been a regular listener now. (laughs) So it feels special to be here with such an esteemed uh, panel. Awesome. All right, let's get into it. So, Sakib, I'm going to hand over the mic to you first. Talk us a little bit about how you started Cricket with an Accent. I know you run a you know you run a tennis podcast as well that that has a similar name, Tennis with an Accent. What are some of your motivations, and and how has this this journey evolved with you? What you know, what inspired you to to get into podcasting? 
which are some of the podcasts uh, you like to listen to and you take inspiration from. Speak to us a little bit about the evolution of this podcast as it's reached its uh, 100th milestone. Uh, sure. So, yeah, thank you for, you know, running th- with this. I don't think uh, I'm as uh, accomplished a podcaster. I'm, uh, you know, I consider myself a hobbyist who has now put his uh, hand into three different podcasts and I'm unable to produce one podcast, like be it tennis or cricket or even film, which is fairly new uh, regularly because it takes time with the family, with a young family and, you know, work requirements and life. So I'll I'll kind of give the generic motivations behind a podcast and tennis will come into my reference points. I apologize because that's, it's not the first love. First love was always cricket, but tennis just took over my ecosystem back in India, you know, after a certain Boris Becker and Martina Navratilova were introduced to me by my late father. So fast forward to 2016, my sister gifts me a MacBook and I didn't know how to use, you know, a Mac, a Mac product or a laptop. And I, I pretty much scolded her. I said, look, you could have given me cash if you just if you were feeling this generous. It was a milestone birthday and whatever, you know, so the laptop wasn't even open. It just kept sitting uh, in one place of the house. And then I'm a big tennis fan. So Anand, who started the tennis podcast with me, I hope he'll be listening to this episode. Uh, we used to talk and discuss tennis through old fashioned emails. There were six, seven of us and we were trying to discuss tennis, you know, pretty much week in, week out and, you know, almost seven, 800 emails during a, during a grand slam. It was become pretty cumbersome, but you know, we were all into it reading. And then one day I listened to a David law podcast. I didn't know what podcast is on Twitter. Someone posted a Marat Safin mention. Again, I was a big Marat Safin fan and I go and Google and, and click that link. And then luckily I, you know, I was an iPhone user and podcast opened on its own while I was driving back from work. And I'm saying, wow, this is cool. And David law is like very impressive. He's my original inspiration, a tennis a broadcaster who's worked uh, as a media director for the Queen's Tournament in London. And he's also uh, been a media personality for BBC and Sky Sports UK. So he was my entry point for podcasting along with his partner in crime, Catherine Whitaker, again, a Sky Sports tennis personality. So listening to them, I just call on and they say, hey, why don't we start recording our conversations? And this is weird because, you know, you guys know me from a podcasting point of view. I'm someone who never liked my voice. I was such a reluctant person who I never activated my personal phone voicemail. I just didn't like the way it sounds. So at work, you have, you know, you're forced to put a voicemail uh, with your own voice. You have reached so-and-so. So it was, again, very bizarre for me that I came up with this idea. And then, you know, we started tennis. Fast forward one more year in 2017, I wanted to do a cricket with an accent again. Uh, accent is not a very creative name at that point. But it became like a website toggle for me, you know. So you click English or French, and so cricket became tennis or tennis became cricket. And uh, I just wanted to talk about old topics because, which I can stay with a lot of clarity now, but I think in the beginning too, I wasn't following much cricket then. I was following maybe occasional World Cups and then Indian test teams, fortunes. And I would only follow IPL if somebody invited me to a fantasy pool, which actually happened in 2019 for the first time. So, yeah, I think uh, the motivation was just to live a fan's journey because after I've tasted the tennis bug, speaking to the likes of Johan Creek, Peter Koda, Mark Woodford, I thought maybe this could be done in cricket. Maybe, you know, and then I went on this journey and uh, first few years were very ambiguous. I was just looking at my 
timeline. The first episode came during the Kohli Kumble saga when Anil Kumble stepped down. And then I didn't do another episode for five months. So it was never a commitment because I was fully producing up to 40 to 50 episodes a year on tennis. And it was taking its toll on me. I had to give up playing cricket because I was playing tennis actively. So, you know, as a midlife crisis, I told my wife, I can't keep doing so many stuff. I'm not a single guy. I can't dedicate four or five hours a week for podcasting, three hours on a Sunday for cricket, and then six hours or five hours on weeknights for tennis. I mean, I had to pick, I have to pick and choose my battles. And then uh, you ask for inspirations. Then I start looking at Twitter DMs, whose DM was open or Facebook, whose, you know, messenger box is open. So I knew Amit Verma was a podcaster, but I didn't know what his caliber was. I didn't know what his strengths were, what he actually was doing. I knew he'd also written about cricket at some point. So Anand's cousin, Sharon, was followed by Amit Verma. So I asked him, I said, can you arrange an introduction? He said, what for? I say, I want to invite him for my cricket podcast. He said, okay, he does a great politics, social science podcast. Why don't you go check it out? So I go and check it out, Amit Verma's uh, episode with Akar Patel, and I was floored with the level of knowledge and the preparedness. And I'm saying, you know, mistake. I don't know what I'll do with a guest like that. And, but I was also like mumbling my, my own way through Johan Creek and the Mark Woodfords or even with Matt Semek. I was asking long-winded questions. So I, I thought like this is a style where I can fine-tune my interviewing ability because before I knew of Amit Verma, I was doing my poor man or pedestrian or version of, you know, long long-winded questions and then you know as fate would have then i started following a few other people on twitter a lot of other people have been instrumental here in here uh three of you are you know sharing the panel with me and and then yeah accidentally i met my match in vijay when vijay finally came in 21 and after i made a debut with you and uh you were you know it was like a dravid ganguly debut for this podcast because it changed the way I looked at cricket podcasting, I thought, okay, well, maybe, you know, we can do deep dives into older relevant topics uh, and talk about and try to make sense for an audience who is not shy of, you know, spending close to 45 minutes to 90 minutes on a few guys talking about some stuff, maybe not with utmost depth, but definitely with a passion and trying to take ourselves a bit too seriously. And of course, Vijay is encyclopedic, you know, his knowledge and recall is tremendous. Anybody who's met him, you know, knows he can tell a story. Sometimes he takes a scenic route, but then he has this punchline where everything makes sense. After you were like, you know, a boardroom guy, I think, and don't want to floor you with these uh, compliments. But I think, yeah, everything added for this podcast to become what it has become. And then I also followed Sahil and I randomly, we were following each other. I don't know who followed who first. And I pinged him once and I said, hey, let's do a, record a podcast on Dilip Kumar. And he replied, yes. And we didn't know each other. You know, we exchanged greetings. And then, uh, yeah, the rest is history. You know, the film podcast came a lot later, but this is a cricket episode. And I'm enjoying doing the cricket conversations. It gives me a certain license that tennis doesn't allow. Not saying tennis doesn't have its own literature and moments, but I think in cricket, I think the, the flawed figures and the story past and the colonial hangover, and country versus country, I think there's so many chapters to pick and choose from, even though I got very excited recently when I did a Boris Becker review of the fallen German stars, uh, tennis evolution. So, yeah, I think, I don't know. I mean, you ask so many things and um, there are a lot of thoughts come to my mind. Right now, it's too many balls to juggle at once. But my motivations were just pretty 
much from a fan's point of view, trying to create conversation and every now and then get lucky talking to a big name. Like I spoke with Bradley and Chapel. I mean, I still don't know. When I see an email from Greg Chapel replying to me, it just doesn't seem real. So I don't know if I've answered what you wanted. I rambled a bit. So no, back that's, to you. That's, that's fascinating. Sakib, I'll ask you one follow-up question before I open now to the panel. Um, has the level of fan engagement been different compared to cricket and tennis? I mean, we only we live in the cricket world and we see a fair amount of passionate, you know, fan following, you know, very sometimes divided opinions, polarized opinions. How's how's it been on both sides of the house? Yeah, it's definitely taken taken off. You know, Vijay's podcast and not to uh, undermine the podcast you, me, and Sahil did in April of last year. So the average downloads is going up since everybody knows I'm a very poor promoter or I don't want to say shy because I'm definitely not shy, but I'm reluctantly uh, uncomfortable uh, promoting my stuff. And uh, I believe in organic flow, but honestly, you know, Twitter is a place where you have to give opinions or you have to share knowledge for someone to know or for you to appear on someone's timelines. So I think in that way, which is definitely elevated this podcast, you know, there have been others who have helped, you know, appear in this podcast. I don't want to like not take people's name. Like Sanket was one of the first people who was on my podcast. Then Gurkirat, Himanesh, and big thank you to Sid V, you know, for introducing me to many uh, people in the cricket industry. And then it was such a uh, cycle of trust that uh, Andrew Fidel introduced me or Karachi Khatmalamar Nakmi introduced me to Andrew Fidel and vice versa. And someone else gave me someone else's email and they were all just, you know, uh, very generous with their commitment to an unknown email coming in their inbox through someone else's referral. But coming back to, you know, uh, Vijay's importance here and, you know, you both, I think it's definitely helped elevate uh, the listenership. Uh, maybe it's other podcast, maybe it's a captaincy podcast. You know, the listenership has definitely gone up and the tennis listenership has gone down. And I know for one, since COVID, uh, we have cut down on the tennis episodes. You know, if it was a proper tennis shop, you're talking Wimbledon, French Open, Queens, Masters, Davis Cup, you name it. In between, there were some interviews. So I'm sure a regular listener who listens to both, I apologize to them. There was never, it was not a company. It was never a budget. It was a one-man passion. I was just doing whatever I enjoyed. And during COVID, Matt Semek said, my partner in crime in tennis said, I'm going to only write about tennis when there's tennis uh, patronage coming or, you know, we can make some money of it, which is fine. I respect that because Matt's a paid professional and I'm a hobbyist. So I think there was an opportunity cost. I kind of tried to juggle two balls and cricket went up thanks to the reasons I stated and tennis came down. But there's also something I'll talk later in the show if, you know, I get the opportunity. Tennis in, in that space, I see a lot more podcasters like myself who are hobbyists. So, yeah, so I think cricket is enjoying somewhat of a revival. I think maybe the Indian, uh, my Indianness, maybe the subcontinent connection, people resonate more to my questions and more importantly to my guests like Vijay's answers. So I think, yeah, tennis, I'm kind of, uh, I, I might have dropped the ball, but I'm not regretting any ounce of it. No, I don't think you've, you've you've dropped the ball. You've done an amazing job. All right, let's let's uh, open this up and uh, move to the broader topic of how fan engagement and and um, 
interaction with digital media has evolved and changed over the years podcasts obviously being one of the critical critical mediums vijay let me bring you in and let's let's start the the discussion you've you've always uh, you know spoken with a lot of richness about you know the the historical context of the game and have deep knowledge of um, not just cricket but personalities around it talk to us a little bit about the historical arc of fan engagement with 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 cricket information and cricket insights all of us here grew up in a world when there was just doordarshan um and we've seen the cable tv boom and now we live in the in the internet boom where it's almost become too difficult to follow a lot of the cricket that's going around you know how has that journey been for for you but also how you, how have you seen it for the average cricket fan changing and what's good about it and what's probably not so good about it today you know sometimes too much information is also a little bit too overwhelming so thanks after for that question um i'll i'll start off by talking about the way i've consumed cricket like uh, by the time i started to watch cricket in 1985 we had access to tv though radio was still a very popular medium for fans to get updates on test matches but somehow i was more hooked to the tv broadcast than a, a radio broadcast perhaps the availability of a choice uh, made it easy for someone like me as you rightly said back then we had only one tv network per country doordarshan in india channel 9 in australia ptv in pakistan rupavahini in sri lanka and the bbc in the uk to televise cricket back then we got only home test matches and home odis um, on tv while overseas cricket was more limited to the highlights and then we got a little bit of you know one day cricket live so it took a, a lot of time before we started to get every cricket series being televised like while while we talk about um a radio and uh, tv we had to talk about how the print media was there because back then print was the king because uh, print media was such a a phenomenal thing because since not everything was shown on tv especially from overseas and especially games not involving your own country the print media reports were so sacrosanct and they were so so important the morning of the print and uh, and back then it was a little different because the scorecard uh, was very vital for the newspaper to publish and uh, what happened in terms of the action reporting uh, from the test match venue or the odi <coughs> venue so that was that was the <clears throat> the action being told through the eyes of a, a journalist i think that the big uh, thing from a, an indian cricket fan where i grew up was the the arrival of prime sports uh, in 1992 as part of the star network which is pretty big boon because we started to see some of the neutral test matches and neutral one day games not involving india being shown but i think we also need since you're talking about the arc of uh, <clears throat> fan engagement or the evolution we need to talk about some of the other things though i have not experienced it there are a lot of old timers they'll talk about something called rec.sport.cricket which was a news group uh, you know sakib came to the us in the late 90s but this is more about the uh, students from india and pakistan and others who came to the us in the late 1980s when there was no access to tv or newspapers or even radio telecast radio broadcast i should say so they they started to use news groups like that using the the internet that was available in the the us university campuses and they started to have these news groups and they started to share information and that led to the formation of cricket for uh, in the 1993 right <clears throat> so that's something we have to acknowledge though i have not personally experienced it because it kind of tells you how cricket was accessible to 
people in a in a in a land where cricket wasn't a main sport like the united states <clears throat> but however technology and internet which wasn't available anywhere else in the world played a huge role in them having some access to it so how the technology played a part <clears throat> now coming back to the evolution look um, you know after the prime sports and star sports in india the arrival of internet in the late 1990s allowed us to have access to not just cricket info and also overseas news publications like the guardian or the telegraph or the sydney morning herald so suddenly we started to uh, see more online content of foreign newspapers but more importantly uh, after you talked about fan experience though we had access to newspapers in india some of them started to go online but the overseas newspapers had comment section which meant we just not we we just didn't get cricket reports we also started to read the comments which meant the fan uh, responses were online we could see them immediately which was a huge plus back in the late 90s or early 2000s and also i'd like to talk about the first ever streaming which i was fortunate to be part of was 2001 when australia toured india and i i was there in india for the first test match and i went to the us for the second test match there was a website called dd-now.com that was a <clears throat> that is the first ever streaming i think i've checked with a few other people and i believe that's historically and factually accurate a first ever uh, test series to be televised live uh, because doordarshan had a partnership with channel 9 and they had some improved technology and they had this uh, website to stream uh, test matches i don't think anybody else could have had access to uh, live streaming from anywhere else except in the silicon valley in the united states where we had faster internet and then moving on like um, 2002 to 3 i started to have access to message boards we had something called bbc test match special uh, like these are internet boards and and then then we had park cricket bus and cricket forum and stuff i think that was the first time i started to really see uh, fans from different parts of the world uh, coming together and exchanging views and it was really great to interact and you know talk to each other over the internet but please don't forget we didn't have smartphones back then so we had to use a laptop or a desktop so you have to be at home or at work to do it and cricket info also played a part right because you could have a, a, a browser instance of cricket info um, you know watching scores while you can interact live with other fans so that that was a huge leap in terms of the technological evolution in terms of how cricket fans could interact and give feedback early of course it also led to some fan wars and even the bbc test match special was shut down the tms forum was shut down due to the indo park fan wars it was even reported on the times newspaper back then that bbc couldn't moderate uh, well enough and they had to shut it down so then i think even in the early 2000s i'd like to talk about a bit of audio i think the first time i ever heard an audio report was rediff which was a very popular us based indian expat website when australia toured india people like adam gilchrist in 2001 he used to have you know recordings of you know two minutes audio files being published right that was really great to hear the voices of the cricketers not just on tv um even on you know websites so the other interesting thing like <clears throat> while we move forward um <clears throat> was uh you know even radio like wisden had its own radio like so some of the games were uh, the games were simulcast like for example channel 9 would have it on tv here in australia while the website baggygreen.com.au i believe which la- uh, later became cricket for as well they used to simulcast the audio the voice of uh, the cricket telecast on the website and i believe using vpn and other technology some people even in the us had access to those games so 
audio and uh, websites you know uh, propagating audio became a bit of a bit of a thing as well oh, well then we had the streams right you know live links and streams started to come about like around 2004 and 5 uh, more and more people started to use illegal and legal streams it's especially in countries where cricket was not a main sport like the us though we started to have <clears throat> um, uh, cricket on uh, willow tv and stuff a lot of people started to use these links I think the other thing we need to talk about is Crick Info. I think Crick Info has to be applauded and acknowledged for, for things that they've done because the stats guru and their old scorecards, right, from the time immemorial was a huge thing for fans to be able to, uh, you know, go and read scorecards from the 1950s and 60s because not all had access to Wisden um, magazine or Wisden publication. And also they revolutionized in terms of the live ball by ball cricket coverage, which again, as I talked about, you could be at work or at home, you could have an instance open on your uh, <clears throat> uh, laptop or desktop, which means people could multitask and you know still do stuff. And also Cricket Info brought in a different change in terms of the reporting. I, I know uh, Sakib talked about Andrew Fidel Fernando. Another name I would like to bring in is Osman Samyuddin. Because the type of reporters I was reading on newspapers was like the R. Mohans and Vijay Lokapalis, S. Dinekas kind of people who have followed a lot of cricket from ground up, Ranji Trophy, Dilip Trophy. They've been to grounds, um, you know, covering cricket, covering club cricket, and then getting to the press box to cover test match cricket. So they had, when you read their reports, you knew they had, you know, experience of 10, 20, 30 years of following cricket. So that's a very different experience. But when we read people like Osman Samyuddin and Andrew Fidel Fernando, it was a very different kind of writing because they were wordsmiths. They were brilliant. I mean, foreign educated, uh, Andrew studied in New Zealand, Osman studied in Saudi Arabia. But you could you could see that they had not watched a lot of cricket. I mean, you could obviously see that the knowledge of cricket wasn't great, but the wordsmithing power and the way they wrote was pretty spellbinding. Credit to people like Osman and even both uh, Andrew Red, both have gone back and done research and written books, uh, both for Pakistan and Sri Lanka. That, that's credit to them. So we started to get these new types of writers who hadn't actually followed cricket for 10, 20, 30 years and haven't done a lot of ground up reporting, but they were elevated into it based on their linguistic prowess or prose and then the ability to research. So that's another thing. And then again, while we, we were at it, Cricket for started their own audio. Um, you know, series with interviews with players, and then the video also came on. Now, I think I'll, I'll try to finish up with podcasts because I believe the iPods came around 2004, and then iTunes were there. I think the fact that Apple linked these two with, uh, you know, uh, iPods with the iTunes, I think that led to this sort of, you know, podcast, which is nothing but, what do we say, a form of radio, but the only difference is you can have a condensing, you can listen to it anytime. Uh, and I think to call it out, cricket being a storytelling sport, a spo- sport which has got an episodic way of doing things and a little longer duration, radio was always very important. And therefore, I think podcast is a, a very good uh, companion or a bedfellow for cricket, I would say. Then, of course, we had YouTube coming up in 2005, which led to blogs and um, uh, and other you know video files. And I think one thing we need to really call out is a lot of people make an assumption that you're a great writer um, and then you could be a great podcaster as well because you have covered cricket for so many years and then you can articulate it. It's it's not true. I'll give an example, right? If you look at audio books, right? Audio books are nothing but books which are narrated by someone who's a specialist. 
of course, if they could get the author to narrate it, that's good. But usually they get people like Stephen Fry or, you know, Barney Turpin or Julia Whelan or, you know, Finty Williams. These are not authors. These are super strong celebrity speakers and, you know, Hollywood actors and, you know, stage performers, et cetera, or, you know, people like Alan Cumming and stuff. That kind of tells you it's a different skill set. The ability to write and then an editor to be able to make it like a thousand word or, you know, 500 word content with multiple edits versus someone has to speak spontaneously or with a good voice modulation. That's a huge difference. An audiobook could be could get killed by a poor voice. Therefore, a great author has written a book and uh, the audio is provided by someone who's an expert. So it's a different skill set. I think we're getting into that for podcasts as well. So which means uh, that kind of tells you that, you know, podcast has got different skills. It's storytelling. It's all about, uh, you know, how you set a context, give a bit of an information and then let the listener, you know, think about the rest. Um, I think the most important thing is if someone were to spend two hours or an hour and a half to listen to a podcast, uh, they would have to get the contents right because, and again, podcast allows people to uh, do multitasking. They're going for a run or walking on a train uh, or doing some laundry or whatever while they're listening to it. So for someone to listen to it while they're doing something else, we need to make sure the voice is right. We need to get them hooked. Otherwise, it's very easy for them to switch off. So that's a pretty much the evolution arc. I'll just summarize with one thing um, after Previously, the user interaction was minimal. Um, now with, you know, podcasts and, you know, Twitter, I mean, podcasts being promoted on Twitter and we use, you know, Twitter as a medium or even Facebook or whatever, the ability for fans to give instant feedback and the ability to hold someone accountable, if there's a, a falsified information being provided, people call you out within 30 seconds. And similarly, you get positive feedback as well. So the immediate feedback loop is a boon, but it's also led to some, you know, fan behavior, which is not appropriate. So we have good and bad, but I think we're still in a good position that there are more people who are able to contribute, participate. There are more content creators than ever before. Probably the only thing that's not happening is monetizing the content creation, which we can talk about later. So I believe we are in a, a much better position than what we were in the 80s and 90s with more democratic choices. As long as we can control uh, the content moderation and improve the behavior of some of the online users, I think uh, the cricket telecast or cricket broadcast or the cricket consumption is in very safe hands after that's the way i would like to summarize that's a, that's a great uh, overview vijay and you you hit some themes um, and i'll probe them a little bit more in detail as we go along but i think the the part you said about like the transferability of skill sets not being there always and and specialized skill sets for specialized roles i mean that's that's a conversation we have all the time in cricket as well right but it's one of my pet peeves with commentary as well like every ex player thing things they can just transition into the commentary box and and you undermine the skill in that's required in calling the game and telling a narrative around the game um you know and i think that's one of the to me one of the good things that's come out of podcasting is that it's 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 allowed for the discourse on the game to be a little bit more better a little bit more detailed we'll we'll go into that as one of the themes as as we continue on this journey sahil let me bring you in now and i'm gonna uh, you know vijay painted a, a a long and at the end a very optimistic picture of how podcasts have contributed to this ecosystem of the discussion around cricket. I want to pose a little bit of a contrarian view and be a devil's advocate to you. And I'm going to ask, do podcasts really matter in today's world? And why should a fan go and listen to a podcast? And let me give you some 
some contrarian data points to it. So Crickinfo, as Vijay mentioned, you know, and, and they have about 20 million unique users every day. Cricket Australia has sort of been, I would say, the leader in digital fan engagement behind Crickinfo. They have about 6 million subscribers. Um, and now a lot of the players and ex-players have these massive YouTube followings where, you know, they, they are running into millions of fans themselves. Like our perennial favorite uh, agent provocateur, Shoy Bakhtar, has 3.5 million followers. He never fails to remind people that. Uh, our Ashwin, without, you know, even running an official channel has about a million plus followers. Akash Chopra has 4 million. Uh, Crick Buzz, which is nothing but a platform for analysis, has 2.5 million. Um, you know, an IPL team like CSK has 3 million. So is there still a reason why fans should continue coming to forums or podcasts? Will they continue to come in the years to come? Your take on it. Uh, yeah, so... Let me just break it down for you. So, for example, uh, when we say that, uh, when we talk about sports pod- podcasting, so it can be broadly, I mean, I would like to divide it into like three categories, okay? One is your uh, news podcast or uh, where you do stuff like uh, previewing or reviewing series. When we talk about cricket or even in tennis, right? You do a, a preview about an Australian Open or the Grand Slams. Things like that. Secondly, uh, is like an interview podcast or a conversational podcast where you get in a guest, you bring in a cricketer or a tennis player or a basketball player, and then you talk about their career or you talk about any particular topic. The third one is uh, the one which I like most is the conversational podcast where you get a guest or there are like two guests or three folks who are experts in that topic or even just like casual fans, they talk about a certain topic. They go back in time. They talk about maybe an India-Australia tour or an India-Pakistan one-day match or they talk about uh, like Mohammad Azruddin, a very complex character. So there are, so if you look at these three categories and the way fans consume these podcasts would be very different. So in my case, I'm quite invested in cricket. So I will... So I'm not really interested in in a news podcast when it comes to cricket. But when I go when I uh, want to listen something in tennis, then I'm I'm basically a casual follower. I watch the Grand Slams pretty much all the Grand Slams, but I'm not well versed with all the other players. Right? Maybe the next, uh, if you say, uh, if you ask me any player in like after top twenty, maybe I'm not. Uh, well aware about their game so so i look at tennis tennis with an accent and i go and if sakib is doing a preview for the french open i would like to listen it and enhance my knowledge about tennis similarly uh, as i said like if i'm following any other sport like basketball or take any other sport i would like if i am not truly invested in that sport if i'm not watching it as closely as i am uh, as i want to then i would want to consume a news podcast uh, for that particular sport or maybe uh, as i said the third category right the podcast where maybe you're talking about uh, the chicago bulls of 90s and i would want to listen that podcast so as an audience uh, for me in cricket i am only invested in a certain type of uh, listening uh, a certain type of podcast but maybe in other sports which i am not following I would like to listen a lot. Uh, 
a different perspective now uh, vijay mentioned that uh, how our media consumption has changed one interesting uh, thing that i also notice is that now everybody can do an analysis so you you don't even need a podcast to do an analysis you can go on facebook or you can go on twitter and basically you can ball by ball you can do a live tweet and you can explain what you think about the game and if there are enough people or if even if there are like 100 people who are just following you and this know that you are talking sense and then you can build your audience and we we have seen it a lot on twitter there are people who are doing cricket analysis like for every game so that way i feel there is always an audience for uh, uh like fan engagement and it has really really changed because of social media so now previously i mean for me if i look at look back in the 90s commentary was the only source from which i would get my analysis or maybe if i read uh, a sports star article or uh, in the newspaper if i'm interested in reading uh, any particular piece by a writer but now i can go to twitter and if i know like three or four people i want to know their opinion so i if i like their opinion or if i appreciate their opinion like vijay or you or anybody like gurkeerat then i can enhance my knowledge and i will follow them rather than listening to commentary and i know a lot of people who watch uh, cricket matches now on mute and they don't listen to the commentary because i think one reason is cricket commentary is very cliched uh, i mean especially in the last five uh, five uh, to seven years what i've noticed is like the same set of commentators and they are just that i mean it's too cliched so this is also an interesting aspect that people are not really interested in listening to the commentary to the analysis that people are providing now the counter counter argument is that a lot many people are also like listening to commentary and that's why they get highly paid like the gavaskars and the shastris and everybody else but there is definitely a small audience which is which doesn't like these broad uh, these broadcasts and you can see that on social media uh the way some some of these broadcasts are done some of the comment uh some of the lack of research that these commentators do i mean it's always called out so uh if i have to just summarize it i would say that there is there is a lot of scope i think podcasting and especially cricket podcasting is still in in a very nascent stage yeah, you spoke about shoaib akhtar and uh, ashwin but i think if you look at sakib's uh, episode of azhar i mean there was so much uh, like uh, outpouring of appreciation for that particular episode that it resonated with a lot of people right they so there is definitely an audience which wants to listen to such kind of stuff we all i think a lot of us because azhar played in the 90s a lot of us have seen him play but the kind of perspective that was brought out in that episode of azhar uh like calling out the details the complex nature of his character like of why he did it how he did it what was his background and all that stuff it resonated with a lot of people and i think the important question here would be whether you can monetize podcasting uh, cricket podcasting in a manner which is sustainable but uh, whether it should be done or not i definitely feel that there is a lot of audience for uh, cricket podcasting and there is one more point that comes to my mind about uh, ipl teams so we have seen like in football there is like a barca tv uh, barcelona tv or a liverpool tv and uh, arsenal tv which are like fan cl- 
fan base tv which only produce information around that particular football club to a certain section of fans now in cricket going forward i see a lot of scope like a mumbai indians or rcb or csk where there is a huge fan following some a, a couple of mumbai indians fans can fans can come up and they can start uh, a podcast specifically focused on mumbai indians and there could be a lot of audience for that as well because if i am following mumbai indians and i know a lot of people uh, who weren't cricket fans but once this ipl came and this whole uh, city based franchises came up they became like a rcb fan or a mumbai indians fan so they would be definitely invested in listening to a podcast where uh, their team is talked about so yeah that that that's great insights i let me probe that one point that you mentioned and i'm i'm going to open this question to all three of you and this is one of the hypotheses i walked into this podcast as well that the space for analysis by an individual fan um an average joe opened up yes because social media gives you that platform it never existed before but the audience for it came because the quality of the average cricket broadcast while in terms of production value camera quality visual quality has gone up in terms of its calling has probably gone down and that's reflective perhaps true across all mediums television print and and maybe even internet just because of the commercial considerations that they have to play to so my 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 sort of slightly provocative question to all three of you is is an average cricket fan better informed today than what he was 20 30 years ago when there was one source of information and perhaps people calling the game were calling it in 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 a better manner than what they are doing today um is is i go back to my my first question that i posed when i opened this to vijay is 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 too much information overwhelming or do you feel that as cricket fans yourself and and fellow friends that you see around people are able to parse through the noise and get to the right level of insight and maybe i'll start with you sakib and then i'll let's do a round table on this before we switch over to the next theme that we want to hit I think it's a very dear topic right to all of us and I I I can vouch because I've speak to you all on the phone uh, at some point and we've talked about this because as fans right this has changed our consumption point and also it's probably broadened our horizons so I I'm guilty as child right uh, uh, similarly how a lot of cricket fans are disappointed with Gavaskar let's take him as a benchmark because he's not giving anything new he's coming unprepared or uh, about not right i had the same disdain with uh, john mackendrow for the longest time and i was playing tennis with this bunch of guys uh, in new hampshire in my tennis league mostly indian some americans so i would always bring out uh, my mackendrow disdain that he's not telling me anything new every french open we have to hear about the lendl match well that has nothing to do with what nadal is doing or wawrinka is doing but those people didn't see tennis like i did and not trying to sound elitist but i was so vested into it i've been listening to mackendrow since 95 since i came to us on nbc and then usa and whatever so he didn't really he made me a good listen a good audience then but the problem is a lot of people still take his word as gospel truth i'm not in many whatsapp groups i left many during the pandemic maybe it was overwhelming so all those people they are much better tennis players they drop hefty prices to go see the us open it's a you know four hour drive from where we live but they still quote john mackendro and this is not to say like you know all of us put together no more than mackendro no but i think mackendro is uh due to 
whatever the network's demand, he probably is still heftily paid, is catering to mass audience. It's just like a mass film whose objective is to entertain. If you want to go watch an Asiruddin Shah film, you know, you're not going to watch a Govinda or like a Manmohan Desai film, right? So same a cricket match is not an entertainment, but the way it's, the narratives are built, even, I won't even point fingers to anyone, I'll point fingers to my late father who never played the game. And I think Sahil can talk about this too. Uh, his idea was based on all the stuff that the hipsters today discount. Big match, pressure player, uh, situation, and even stuff that could be happening in someone's personal life because that's what was written in the old publication and that's what uh, commentators, even ex-players like Gavaskar, uh, tried to stay focused on. So sport is a business. So my counter question is, even though I'm with the hipsters, that McIndoe and Gavaskar are not adding much. But I also, after criticizing them for a good decade, I made peace with it because tennis and cricket telecast is just not for me or you or anyone in the podcast. It's for a larger audience. And if that audience is really, you know, who's to decide what's right for everyone? Some some people even watch cricket for an escape. They may not need to know the trajectory of a ball and uh, all the sexy analysis that separate men from boys or, you know, separate the Bakar from Basims, like who's better, who's not. That's all good, but everybody tunes in for a match as an escape. And people my age now are old timers or even older than me. So you can't tell them what they have been fed all this uh, uh, all this time is incorrect. Their, in, their enjoyment is coming from a very different vantage point, be it cricket, tennis, or basketball, or football. Sports people and sports matches have a narrative. That's how they see sport. And it's it's a very tricky conversation not to see each one is wrong because like what Sahil said, a lot of tennis fans do the same and McEnroe is uh, commentary, doing commentary. Uh, the World Feed has people like Nick Lester and uh, Robbie Koenig and even Tennis Channel has some brilliant commentators like, you know, Lindsay Davenport who add value. And I think they make me a better, better watcher of the game. But at the same time, I've made peace with what McEnroe is doing and what Gavaskar is doing. I usually don't watch center court matches if, you know, if I have Grand Slam is going on, but uh, I'll watch a player I want to watch. But if I have to go back to center court or main court where Johnny Mack is doing his commentary, I kind of made peace with it. I mean, I, I joke and mock him sometime in a group, but it, I don't yeah, I don't lose sleep over this. I, I don't drop a tweet by an hour how dumb this is. You know, I, I don't want to repeat myself. McEnroe has been doing the same thing for 15 years. Now it's shame on me if I want to keep calling someone like him and and he's a legend you know like enough is enough I, I don't want to insult him because the network bosses who are paying him they see a value that he draws crowds he draws the casuals and casuals are the pulse of any sport because the purists really don't go because purists could be living in different remote places they don't go buy tickets so you know uh, ecosystem is a bit flawed but it is what it is the day sport became business it's going to always cater to a mass audience so whoever wants to come in next Vijay, same question to you, but let me preface it by by um, paraphrasing a little bit of what Sakib said. Are we are we being and to use those famous labels right? Are, are we being nostalgia merchants and, and, and elitists here, cribbing a little bit about um, you know the quality of content that fan gets to engage with? And one of the reasons why I want to highlight and probe on this a little bit more, and and you've seen a lot more cricket here than than all of us, but there was a time and period when even on a one-day international telecast, maybe 20, 25 years back, where you had to go into a commercial break after every over. Sunil Gavaskar had the time to point out that Tendulkar is standing 
with his left foot behind his right foot because he does not want to reach too far across his off stump because in the past four games he was nicking the ball outside off and 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 uh, you know getting caught behind the wicket now that's that's an insight that's very valuable because it's telling a fan why a certain player is doing something on the field uh, that they are seeing on their on their visual medium which is television and today you watch an ipl game and there's nothing like that t20 is a skill we all acknowledge it right it it requires different skill sets than playing in test cricket but if you were to watch an ipl game a lot of the talk is just about the tamasha outside around it right there is no value addition or even a, an an effort to inform the fans that there is a different kind of a skill set that needs to be appreciated and you have to go and hunt down people like gurkirat and their twitter timelines to understand why a certain player is really good at t20 versus you know certain other people so same question to you are we better informed as cricket fans today and is the level of effort much higher for us or you know are, are we just kind of trying to nitpick here and and we should accept the fact that for a mass majority of people that that degree of analysis or insight doesn't really matter they're there for the show and they're there for the entertainment yeah i think good question after uh, there were i think sakib covered a fair bit of it so let's look at cricket as a sport right cricket is a a unique sport as i said earlier it's an episodic sport a sport which has a lot of pauses it's a team sport but it's got a lot of individual activity right a bowler bowls to a batsman there are like you know 10 other fielders standing around etc cetera, etc cetera. so cricket's whole evolution was test cricket 5 days or you know 10 days whatever right when we had uh, unlimited number of uh, you know when we had timeless test matches even one day cricket just went on for 7 hours right so we had storytellers like we had the great uh, you know people like john arlott or john arlott so brian johnston you know tony cozier and then we had people like even richie beno you know was so popular for his pauses right uh, then we could even talk about an indian example of harsha bogle right so we we have had instances of a henry blofeld we've had instances of not everyone was a former player so we had we've had a lot of storytellers especially on radio right storytelling and then uh, complemented by a former player for a summary summary or analysis that's how the cricket uh, uh, broadcast was there on tv and that's how they evolved into sorry radio that's how that 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 got evolved into tv as well but i think the challenge was when one day cricket became they were still using the same template they were using for test cricket like you know former players and a summarizer on an um, they'll continue to do what they were doing and to your point because of these pauses someone has to tell a lot of stories your rain delays a cricket is a qu- quite a unique sport which meant uh, you needed someone to talk a lot about past nostalgia etc etc that's a context i think t20 has changed it completely because it's a short 3 hour sport pretty much like uh, any other major sport like rugby union or uh, football football is a lot shorter than that it's just 90 minutes right i think the point with uh, t20 i think cricket tele, tele television companies haven't recognized the fact that t20 is a different sport or it has evolved into a different sport because they're still looking at t20 as oh the same game played by for 20 overs each i don't think that's true because ben jones and the crickwiz Uh, folks have written enough about it we got enough literature uh, to look at t20 as a different sport i think a lot of people watch ipl and t20 uh, internationals and they're really upset about the fact that 
people who haven't got a good idea about T20, which is a different format, almost a different sport, and they're trying to use their muscle memory of test cricket and ODI cricket to comment it. I think that's where the problem comes because other sports have just, I mean, you could talk about rugby having rugby sevens. Otherwise, most of the sports have just one format and either a former player is good or not. I think in cricket, the formats have evolved. The television companies haven't evolved in terms of how to bring in. I think to me, if they bring in T20, like an Aaron, Aaron Finch could become the Richie Benno of T20 coverage, right? Because he has played franchise cricket across the board, uh, across the world, uh, around the globe. Uh, ben Jones could be, <clears throat> again, picking right, Crick, Crick Wiz, or now he works for Sky, I believe. So we need to bring in the people who have got a, a great insight about T20 cricket, from franchise cricket um, to international cricket to come to the fore. In that way, we don't need a Gavaskar for T20. But I, I could see why he's still coming because putting a Ben Jones or a Jared Kimber, a Jared Kimber is a very popular cricket podcaster, uh, YouTuber, but he, he himself has said that despite him giving a lot of suggestions, ABC radio or you know TV companies are unwilling to touch someone like him because they're still, television still expects star power of former players. Ian Botham has got nothing to do with T20 cricket or a, or a Sunil Kavaskar. I think that's where the whole frustration comes in because in a country like India where, you know, the satellite TV connections are like in UK, if you have Sky Sports, you need to pay for it. In India, I think still people could use, you know, you know illegal ways of accessing sport. They're still relying on ad revenue. And I think the former players and the star power are now they've added a lot of women, some, some really good women, uh, female commentators, but some of them are there for the, glamour quotient as well unfortunately i think they're trying to improve uh the the you know face value of you know or the 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 brand value of the former players as a medium i think that's where some of the frustration comes from a t20 perspective now coming back i think even a test cricket and one day cricket data and analytics have started to <clears throat> permeate through the ranks like for example we're talking about the DRS data and the ball by ball data, right? And I think after you were with me on another pod when we discussed about, uh, you know, have we got democratization of uh, cricket data because uh, it's only available with Crickwiz or with Cricket Four. That's why Asid Monga is able to write a much better article because he could, he has the access to data which others don't have. So in a way, uh, and even companies like Crickwiz have started to <clears throat> give it to. Uh, organization like Star, uh, Sky Sports and others, right? So to me, how do you make the DRS data and the ball by ball data complementary uh, to cricket telecast or cricket broadcast is very important, even for test cricket and one-day cricket. I think that's where cricket has been a bit slow in adapting. Um, and I think in T20, it's getting better. But I think we need newer voices who've got good access a good understanding of the game, nuances of the game, along with the data. I think that's where we need a bit of a reset. See, Gavaskar is still a reasonably good storyteller commentator, but he shouldn't be there for an IPL. But he's there because he's still the face of cricket for Indian fans to sell products and, um, uh, you know, uh, make the game more reachable and get the TRP ratings. That's the way I would like to look at it uh, after. Thanks, Vijay. Sakib, I saw you had your hand up. You want to go? Just make a quick uh, point, uh, not a disagreement to what Vijay said. I think Vijay hit the nail on the coffin and I think the answer lies somewhere there when he said uh, IPL or T20 is a different sport uh, and Gavaskar, you know, shouldn't be there. 
So I'll again, for the second last time, I'll bring a tennis comparison. Tennis doesn't even have a second sport uh, subset here. Best of three and best of five are pretty much the same sport. Best of five is more, you know, uh, where's the fitness of the fittest and best and all that we can say, but it's still not as different as a T20 to a test cricket. But uh, when Darren Cahill, who's arguably one of the sharpest minds in tennis, has been hired by ESPN, but he never calls a Grand Slam final because it's McEnroe and McEnroe only, Patrick and John, and Darren Cahill would be coach size, who will be speaking maybe 20% of the time. So I think this is the question I asked Kimber. Have we, do we have access to data, what the metrics are? Because it's all about TRPs and what, which I just said, Gavaskar, McEnroe, Chris Everett, the big names, you know, or, you know, Ian Chappell, again, Ian Chappell's class act, but I'm just throwing in big names have an appeal. No matter what they do, but they have a cult following. They will bring people in. So I think the answer is still in the boardrooms because people who are making these decisions, people, you look, the ads are factored in, right? What ad will be showed before, you know, Djokovic is about to serve for the championship or, you know, last over is being bowled for World Cup final because there's more money, but there's also, there's a, there's a metric, there's a math. So similarly, I think, all these big networks like ESPN, NBC, ABC are paying these hefty amounts to these commentators who are like pretty much ancient in their approach and not adding much value. But I think quick exit here. But I think yeah, that's worth uh, thought. It's a thought for you know explored later on because these people you know there are no free lunches in the world, so there's no there's no stupid way to pay a McIndoe when he's not adding value in terms of how many eyes are on a on a final. So I think uh, I'll give the floor to Sahil. I know you have a question for him. Yeah. So I'm going to pick that thread up, um, Saqib and Sahil. Let me come back to you because you said that the the only question that remains to be solved is how do you monetize podcasting? And so my my next provocative question to you is where will that monetization come from? Because to me, we we are in the podcasting space. We are probably where you know television cricket coverage was maybe 30 years ago, right? We are still in that space of relative innocence. We have a lot of time to talk and deliberate on topics. Uh, we are not driven by commercial considerations, advertising pressures, subscription pressures. And you you gave the example of maybe franchise teams starting out with some kind of a model, but do we risk then again, you know, being driven by 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 bottom lines and and the quality then again kind of, you know, deteriorating and playing to the lowest common denominator where you're now talking about, you know, what kind of clothes a player wears or, you know, how good, let's say, a player and and and, and his companion look together rather than, you know, what makes him a really good player. Do, do we end up, you know, risking doing that? And the the other question that I'll follow up before giving the four to you is who who drives the the monetization of this? Can an average cricket fan like a Gurkirat or Saqib hope to monetize what they're doing or does it need to come from the franchises or from the boards? I mean, one would argue this is one area that the BCCI has, you know, kept its eyes closed. I mean, I I went on YouTube and it was so difficult to even find their official channel and when you find it, you see it just has 30k subscribers. Uh, Cricket Australia has 6 million. Um, So, you know, it's almost like the BCCI is holding all of its digital content like a family jagir a family heirloom that they don't want to share with people. So just a couple of questions, if you can, you know, probe on these and then share your thoughts. Uh, yeah, thanks, Aftab. See, uh, the easiest way is to sell sponsorship. I mean, uh, I hear a couple of history podcasts. I've heard the Amit Verma podcast. And I think uh, in those podcasts, basically there are like almost one minute ads before they start. Okay. So 
I feel that sponsorship is the easiest method, especially for people like Saqib or newcomers or people who are just starting out their podcast. The more people that start listening your podcast, the number of people that uh, you can reach out to. And and I also believe that uh, no matter what is the subject or uh, what is the topic, I mean, there is always an audience, right? Like we also started our film podcast and we could see that there there were certain people who could who could relate to what we were speaking. And uh, if we talk about just cricket with an accent, uh, Sakib didn't start it. Uh, start this podcast to monetize maybe in the future he would like to monetize it but he started it as a hobby so a lot of I think uh, I agree with you uh, on that point is that a lot of fan analysis or engagement that's coming is uh, from just the sheer passion that people have for the sport uh, in this case cricket uh, but monetization, I mean, I'm not an expert on uh, podcast monetization, but I can only think of sponsorship or ads for uh, newcomers. Okay. I would just like to go back to a previous point that we were talking about uh, in terms of how uh, the commentators, I mean, they use cliches and also th- there's one example that I would like to bring about is Akash Chopra. I think he he knows a lot. Akash Chopra is very good at technical analysis. But when I hear his Hindi commentary, right, it full it is full of those rhymes and all that, like those typical Hindi rhymes. He just wants to rhyme everything. But uh, if you see his articles on Crick Info, so he has written a lot of insightful articles. And I would at least maybe uh, you don't agree with all of them, but he provides, he comes up with a perspective. He talks about technique. He talks about uh, insights as to why a certain batsman like I remember he talked about Pujara that why Pujara is very good against spin but he's not that good uh, against space and uh, he said that because he doesn't use his feet that much uh, when he's facing pace whereas when it comes to spin he comes down the track or he goes back uh, on the back foot and he plays well and I realized that was such a simple thing but I never heard it in his commentary uh, uh, but he wrote it in that article so I, I I think that it's also like, as Sakib said, right, uh, the commentators, the broadcast, broadcasters, they're playing to an audience. They know that the average viewer, and I don't want to sound elitist, uh, uh, but the average viewer doesn't care about uh, whether you're moving your feet. And especially in terms of T20, uh, when we are watching T20, nobody cares. They just want to see you get a wicket or they want to see you hit a six. They don't care as to how Surya Kumar Yadav is hitting those uh, unbelievable shots. So, yeah, uh, and we, we, and uh, I would just say that, like, we are in, like, in a minority when it comes to, like, criticizing the commentary because we are living in a Twitter bubble or in a social media bubble where we see certain people, like 3,000, 4,000, or maybe 10K people, if uh, you know somebody uh, who is followed a lot. So that's still a very, very small, uh, I would say, a sample size to say that it's going to affect uh, Sunil Gavaskar or Ravi Shastri to change their commentary style or even Akash Chopra. And Akash Chopra, having this wealth of knowledge, I mean, I can see that why he does that Hindi commentary. Fair enough. Let me broaden the aperture of this discussion a little bit. And Sakib, I'll start with you. I mean, we all live outside of India and to an extent we've had exposure to different professional leagues that run in the countries we live in. You you and I are in the US, uh, Vijay and and Sahil are in in Australia. And my, my broader question is, can cricket do more to bring in 
the analysis and insight that that individual fans provide or want to provide into the game i mean there's an example of nba and it's it's probably the most uh, you know the most popular league um, certainly by metrics the league that has the highest um, social media engagement with their fan base I, I i pulled out some stats and you know they had like 32 billion social media engagement uh, touch points uh, through the official nba um, social media handles few years back they they allowed fans to actually use videos from games to create small moments or or small mixes and that led to like a huge uh, level of engagement they're also very liberal in allowing players to share content right so there's not like this you know possessiveness around digital content that that comes out of games and i was you know reading up some interviews and both the nba and nfl have talked about the fact that how short clips from games are like you know vehicles for driving greater engagement can cricket do more or is 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 as a game or is it is it super insulated from how it looks at its fans uh, and and is there an is there a way or is there an argument to bring fans into driving more engagement around the sport particularly you know with all this massive social media channels you have um i mean put on your little bit maybe of your tennis hat but also you know you 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 live in the states and i don't know how much you look at the nba or the nfl but but put put cricket in that in in that index and and how far behind are we um in in the sport that we follow okay so it's a it's a it's a really good question and i will be out of my depth if i try to answer word for word because then i would have to admit i don't follow the nba like i used to it was my second sport after tennis because there was no access of cricket in the us so from 96 the jordan years till 2004 uh, detroit beating la in the final uh i think i was a die hard nba fan i was you know my father would wait for me you know sometime if i end up going out at night with friends he would get mad that we are not watching a chicago bulls game but to answer your question i don't follow the nba but i have done some research like kevin durant is a huge name even if you don't follow the nba you know he's one of the top 5 top 10 guys in the league maybe top 15 now that's the equivalent of a uh virat kohli or a ben stokes legit superstars doing their own podcast now will icc ecb bcci will they allow that kind of thing uh maybe they do but will their pr machineries be understandable that kohli should go create a, a podcast right now he's making so much money so i think nba since the pandemic more and more current players and former players have come out with the podcast first it was seen not seen as a big practice but i think with the pandemic everybody sat at home a lot of big names started doing a podcast now the big question is uh is there the future that cricket could replicate i don't know cricket there's a lot of gatekeeping going on so let me if it's okay i'll answer this question uh by taking to the miniature route there are three lanes in podcasting today in all sports one is hobbyist the bottom of the food chain where you know we all belong and who have zero interest financially if someone can buy me a pizza or a coffee that's good pays pays for my 2 hours editing work and then there is people who are in the cricket industry like vijay said who are writers they discovered this digital form of relevance okay besides my writing i can get instant feedback by talking about the game we all love and that included like you know uh, columnists broadcasters uh, writers and former players now the other one is where marquee former players and real superstars of the game get in there like covid during covid like ashwin did i mean who's going to listen to say uh what i'm talking or even you know sidvi is like much more accomplished than me but if ashwin starts talking about cricket tales or one one interview if he starts bringing in the pujaras the dravids the kohlis you know so that's the tricky part i mean 
is that is there future for it yes but is ashwin going to do this regularly because his appeal is till he's a current player once you enter the former player box i don't know how many people will listen to it so i don't know if i'm answering your question uh, directly but i think there is a lot of uh, food that still has to be processed for example uh, spaces in one angle right it, it it was threatening podcast last year i felt like i should close the podcast because 500 people 600 people are tuning into a tennis with an accent space now if we do a space 40 people show up because now i realize podcast is more timeless even though spaces could be recorded so i think uh, now to answer your question with cricket and tennis in the hobbyist fan uh, fan zone i can answer my podcast uh, or my experience like with fellow podcasters who are either students or professionals tennis they i could name 20 on top of my head and they could be easily 100 who are doing this while in cricket if i just look at the indian ecosystem uh, and sidvi is a legit journalist so i don't call him a hobbyist even though you know mahesh uh, probably uh, has a corporate job like we all do uh, but you know but just because sidvi is a captain of that ship i call it a professional podcast but if you look at uh, abhishek chopra getting into podcasting very knowledgeable name or the last wicket they are very similar like cricket with an accent so i don't see me- many people have the sustainability to do a cricket podcast in the indian ecosystem uh, because it takes 15 to 20 dollars you know hosting fee then you have to find uh, a nice laptop software like that's why i mentioned the macbook at the beginning garage band allows you to do the podcasting so the fan zone i think there is room there, there could be more voices but then everybody who used to listen to say i used to listen to someone's podcast and now i have my own podcast so we are also kind of like stepping on each other's toes it's a free market everybody can create one uh but yeah i don't have the answer uh that cricket i i agree with you cricket does a lot of gatekeeping compared to an nba uh at, at the elite level and maybe it's coming from the insecurity they don't want to share the power and they want to share the golden goose they're sitting on so i think it'll take time maybe after retirement for virat kohli i think he's too big a guy just keep using his example i, I don't think he ever do a podcast he'd probably go into successful business ventures but if he wanted to do something similar that would be one way of you know uh showing and breaking the shackles that if such a such a marquee name with huge fan base can create something like this then i think we are you know we can draw an nba comparison because right now the nba players that do a quality podcast talking about their life they share for music even uh police brutality for for towards black men in america they are touching upon some serious subjects and to sahil's point akash chopra again maybe that's a bcci limitation uh looks like they're all like kind of even they in their own private ecosystems they're all little uh under under cloud of uncertainty there's there's that lack of freedom which a podcast should have and believe me if any indian cricket cricketer had that kind of a podcast everybody would have known about it it's right now just talking about the game everybody's so afraid to talk about the stuff that people are talking freely in the nba who dated who who sent flowers to who who was smoking marijuana what not you know who was under the influence behind the wheel that kind of stuff will never come out because ours is a very gated society and that's why i was surprised nobody else did an other podcast when vijay and i explored this idea and sharda agreed you know we are a bunch of hobbyists and kudos to sharda to mix it up on a forum like this and give vijay the floor to totally run with that podcast and you know uh, yeah I, i don't think many people in the indian cricket space vijay can speak more about australia are ready to tackle serious issues because there's so much interest and so much gatekeeping and so much uncertainty that who i might offend 
I think uh, that's why it is where it is. And I, without knowing much about the current NBA, I think it's long ways to go. Great points, Sakib Sahil. I know you have your hand up. Quick interjection from you before I before I go to Vijay. Oh yeah. So I just wanted to like add uh, to what Sakib was saying, uh, like a counterpoint uh, that whether there is a scope for uh, normal hobbyists to exist along with athletes. And he brought about Kevin Durant and all. Uh, I I I recently started listening to Draymond Green, right? Who is the Warriors uh, basketball player. And he started his own podcast. And if you look look at football, Peter Crouch uh, and uh, there's a goalkeeper, Ben Foster, they do their own podcast. And and I'm pretty sure like there are hundreds of podcasts in football. Uh, and as uh, you were saying that in, in basketball, like the social main media engagement is at a completely different level. So now cricket, I think we haven't even touched uh, what we say, the tip of the iceberg. We we only know, maybe we can only think of Ashwin in terms of Indian cricketers who can uh, maybe start a podcast and start talking to uh, maybe older cricketers and bring uh, about their perspectives. Because in Australia, uh, I listen to a podcast, All That Glitters, which is done by Libby Trickett. Like she's a five-time gold medalist in swimming. And she talks to like different athletes from different sports, not just swimming. She had Shane Watson and she brought Jelena Jokic and the Jelena Jokic episode, I highly recommend that episode because she didn't talk about tennis that much, but she just talked, uh, spoke about the kind of abuse she faced uh, uh, in her childhood and things like that. So as Saki was saying, maybe in India, we are not mature enough to talk uh, about those things in a podcast, but I see at least... Uh, no matter how obscure or uh, or or a or a very limited object there are chances that somebody else might be interested in what you want to talk and then you can build start slowly building a like engagement with a uh, with a community or a, a bunch of listeners yeah so that was my whole point Vijay, let me come to you as we start wrapping up this discussion. Um, so same question to you that I asked to Sake, but in an, in an Australian context, you you see NFL uh, or AFL, Aussie, Aussie football, um, you see rugby and Cricket Australia generally has been the pioneer when it comes to broadcasting, digital fan engagement. Do you how how do you rank you know cricket and its fan engagement in the Australian context compared to you know what the other sports or leagues do? And the second question to that is: Would we still want to go and 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 listen to an Ashwin on his YouTube channel, or if he starts a podcast tomorrow, if he was retired and not playing? Just lobbying Sakib's question to you: Is, is there value for a knowledgeable quote unquote ex player uh, who who now wants to share his 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 opinion? And do we feel that? you know, we gatekeep too much in cricket. I mean, Cricket Australia's commercial interests are now tied to BCCI, so they kind of have to go lock and step and to some extent toe the line. So, after from an Australian perspective, and I'll come to some of the points that Sakib and uh, Sahil had raised. I think from an Australian perspective, I think first of all, the comparison, AFL and NRL do a good job. AFL is the Australian rules, which is like, uh, uh, which is played in the southern states of Australia. NRL is a national rugby league, which is played predominantly in New South Wales and Queensland, the northern states, uh, for those who aren't familiar with the Australian landscape and how it's played. See, both these sports are pretty much played for eight to nine months a year. And uh, both of them have 
but again, right? They are they're at a reasonably mature state. That means fans will watch their teams. So the 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 uh, tribal following is there for their teams, and then they may not watch some of the other games as well. It's a pretty much like the European football leagues or the uh, the American uh, professional leagues, uh, but they've got good amount of TV chat shows. Um, you know, you know shows with you know comedians uh, talking about these sports people, both on radio as well as on TV. And there are quite a few podcasts as well, right? So from that perspective, because it's played for eight to nine months, the engagement is more, and uh, the fan base uh, they get uh, they get uh, uh, more interactions. So cricket is played mostly for three to four months, and except when Australia goes to England for the Ashes, right? Just to let you know, pretty much every but every bit of coverage right now in the Australian media is about the Ashes, and not a people. A lot of people wouldn't know about a WTC final, which is a big thing for India in terms of a, an ICC championship, right? So that's how the narrative goes over here. So cricket cricket gets a lot of coverage, a fan, I mean, a lot of talkback radio, etc. Um, from, from, from that perspective, radio, TV, as well as, you know, pods and others. But I think... To your point, Cricket Australia is pretty, pretty good in terms of the YouTube contents as well as the Twitter contents, the highlights and stuff. So I would say along with ECB uh, in England, uh, Cricket Australia is quite modern, democratic, unlike the BCCI in terms of putting contents out. And also if you see even on the TV uh, telecast, broadcast, they've allowed access to players. A lot of commentators can walk into the dressing rooms and get the access. Well, whether I'm a fan of players being mic'd up or not, that's a different conversation, but at least they're trying to engage and you know trying to bring people into that. Now, to some of the other points that uh, people like Saqib raised, I think, and you also raised about NBA, right? Talk about analytics and metrics. If you look at NBA for the last 10 plus years, they have talked about a lot about um, you know speed, distance, player separation, ball possession. So there are a lot of statistics around team sport and how that's been uh, you know measured. And baseball is also doing a lot of that. I think from a cricket perspective, we are aren't there as yet. Uh, we have a some way to go. Now, day I think for that the data has to become more democratic, democratized, uh, uh, democratized, I should say. And similarly, as you rightly pointed out. Uh, NBA allows the content creators to make more money out of the YouTube channel. So a lot of people could put highlights and stuff. Cricket is a little more uh, in a bit of a, a police state in terms of, you know, shutting down the YouTube channels and stuff. So in that way, it's a bit different. But I think also we also need to understand that because cricket has, uh, you know, a bit of a gap, it's not like a, a three-hour sport where everyone is actively involved therefore certain amount of metrics can be captured so in that way cricket being a different sport i think we're trying to look at cricket through other sports prism that also makes it a bit complex so we could do more about an, uh, analytics and uh, data etc the other final point i'd like to call out is please understand the biggest market for cricket comes from india but india is not an english-speaking country yes it's an english-speaking country but if you look at even on tv they have eight or nine different languages being used for tv broadcast i think I would think the future in India is podcasts in Tamil, Hindi, Bengali, Kannada, uh, you know, Konkani, or a bit of mix of English and another language, 80% in English and 20% in, you know, the, the other uh, national or regional language. Because if you look at sports like American sports and British sports, where the two big markets are, everyone speaks English. So I think we're measuring everything from that perspective. I think in India, there'll be a little more, uh, I would say, 
distribution of podcast channels and YouTube channels in linguistic local languages, even the Pakistani YouTube channels we talked about. Most of them, I believe, speak in Urdu. I don't watch a lot of them. Even Akash Chopra does a lot in Hindi. I think when that happens, it's going to be a different thing because it won't be in English. It'll be you know fragmented across the linguistic lines. But the final point is, I think it's the easiest time to produce any contents for anyone. Anyone can start a pod. Anyone can start a vlog. But monetizing is a very hard task because to get advertisers, you need a certain number of hits. You need a certain number of audiences. Even on YouTube, there are clear-cut metrics. So I think monet- Jared Kimber does a little bit of monetizing and a few other people have asked for coffee and stuff. But to make a living out of a cricket podcast, to make a living out of a cricket blog, it's going to be really hard. I think, therefore, a lot of them will fall by the wayside, like how a lot of people started the blogs. They couldn't continue. I suspect even a lot of hobbies, um, uh, podcasters and you know video content creators might not be able to do in the long run once the family thing gets in or you know when they're busy at work, etc. I think that's the worry I have about this podcast. And final point about Ashwin. Ashwin, yes, he's very popular. I'm no big fan of Ashwin when it comes to talking because he's a bit liberal with truth, but that's my personal view. I hope I don't get lynched for that. But I think Ashwin is a very sharp mind. He might get very popular. But again, look at Ashwin. He speaks a lot in Tamil and English, right? So the bilingual and using Tamil and English could be the way forward for such podcasters or such former players to become popular as well. You have a few interesting Twitter mentions coming your way with that last comment, Vijay. Um, So good luck on that. Uh, Uh, (laughs) Sakib, you had your hand up you want to go before I wrap up and pose my final question yeah quickly make a point about gatekeeping right everybody knows I you know tried to travel to tennis tournaments I was recently in Portugal first tournament in maybe two years and uh, before pandemic when I was one of the few hobbyists who would go to a tournament like Miami or Montreal I would get a lot of two three minute sound bites one-on-one with players and on WTA, the women's tennis is more generous. I recorded some of my better interviews where I got 10 minutes with Svetlana Kuznetsova and 10 minutes with Maria Sakri, uh, etc. Now what I've noticed, ATP is doing gatekeeping, but they're more hobbyists like me who they let in these tournaments, but they don't even give one-on-one with someone, no names, or someone who's ranked 37 or number 45 in the world. And that point, I'm saying, you know, like I came all this far, fine, it's a great vacation to watch tennis. But uh, there is gatekeeping in tennis. And I was a bit disappointed in my first two, three days of Portugal that I didn't even get two minutes with a player one-on-one. And it's tough to construct an interview when you are talking to like a player with seven other uh, microphones in his face. And, you know, your questions, like I'm more like a content creator. So that's my point. I think tennis also, like cricket, has taken a step back. There's more gatekeeping. Now ATP has its own podcast. They're discovering these digital outputs. And uh, yeah, it's it's a, it's a race for survival because I'm sure the, the governing bodies also feel threatened by players, former players going to start their own YouTube channels, own podcasts. So I think they really haven't uh, respected, like, you know, you know, after in the U.S., we have road trees, right? Where in traffic, you come to a halt, circular roundabouts, and you don't have the right of way. You give the right of way. The car that stopped will let the car that's in the circle go first, not saying it's my right. So I think we need to come to a point in cricket and tennis where these to- sports are still being totally gatekept and the new voices are not being allowed to, f- to you know, flourish. And, and and new voices are not a threat. We are not making money in this, but there is this insecurity that runs deep in at least cricket and tennis that maybe from far seems like NBA has cracked the code. So that was my quick point. That's a great point, Sakib. And 
Vijay, I think you mentioned an excellent point around multilingual um, modes of communication, which I think for a for a very diverse audience like India is probably going to be the way to go. And player gatekeeping can be a whole episode by itself. Um, the point that you break up, um, bring up Sakib and you know a lot of journalists who have appeared on different podcasts. I think one common theme that you know, which is not obvious, which is not surprising, but very obvious right now is that access to players is like now so tightly controlled that what a journalist can get today from a player is very, very different from what it used to be 20, 30 years ago. Part of it is whatever happened with fixing, but I think part of it is also like boards and maybe to some extent players also wanting to control their access. All right. We've had a great discussion over the last hour, gentlemen. Thank you so much for all the points you've contributed. Let me wrap up now by asking one discussion and I go uh, round Robin to two questions, in fact. So my first question is, what is the one thing you wish will change with regards to how cricket engages its fans digitally? And my second question is, who is the one guest you want to hear on Sakib's podcast in the next three to six months. So maybe Sahil, why don't I start with you and then you can pass the ball around. Uh, okay, so I will just uh, change the question a bit uh, about uh, what do I want to change with respect to cricket. One thing is I don't want to see uh, a, a documentary like Drive to Survive, Breakpoint, uh, Full Swing for cricket. I think, yeah, they did it for Mumbai Indians in 2018. Uh, it was called something fever uh, and I didn't like it that much and even I have seen that the test documentary they have done uh, for the Australian team I'm not a big fan of uh, people getting uh, uh, these uh, docu uh, documentary makers getting access to the dressing rooms and all because I think it's once you know that there is a camera I think you are not your real self and I remember Jurgen Klopp the Liverpool manager he he basically turned down an offer from Amazon Prime for the All or Nothing series, which is like a big hit. You have like NFL teams, uh, NHL teams, um, and even Premier League and La Liga teams who have provided access to the dressing room. So I think that's one thing that I don't want in cricket because I think it looks very artificial and they just try to create a very artificial drama out of the sport, which I'm not a big fan of. You mean you're, uh, you're not a fan of you're not a fan of all the elite honesty just in Langer showed in the test documentary. <laughs> Come on, man. Uh yeah, uh, not a big fan of Justin Langer. I mean, Vijay knows that. Uh, yeah, and the other thing that you asked, yeah, the one guest. Uh, I mean, I would say like it would be lovely to have Rahul Dravid, right? To have an episode like uh, Azhar uh, that uh, Sakib, Vijay and Sharda did. And I think uh, Sharda and Sidvi are probably my favorite journalists. So I would love to have like a Rahul Dravid and let Sakib ask him questions and not about cricket, but in life general, right? Like his background, what, when he was studying and what was he doing? Or I know politics could be a little tricky, but if he can answer, I mean, I know he won't, but yeah, that's like a wish list. If Rahul David can come. Don't we, don't we all want Rahul David to talk, especially about 2005 to 194. And 2005 to 2007. All right, Vijay, over to you. Uh, I don't know what to change. I think, I think one thing I'd like to say is from a digital fan engagement, more access to the content. I think uh, we talked about NBA, right? I'd like to see more people to have free access to highlights. I think highlights are available, uh, but I think um, to grow the game, we need to have equal distribution or 
more content distribution and like to see people on their phones, short highlights and stuff. It's getting better, but I'd like to see more and more of it because cricket is one sport that gets played for longer duration than any other sport or most other sports, maybe except golf and others. Therefore, it's very important for the game to become, sus- you know, you know, to be to to have sustenance. They need to have more contents available with the younger fans, shorter highlights, uh, at a click of a button through apps and stuff. I think that needs to be done more and more for all the games, international test matches, ODIs, um, and you know, IPL and others. In terms of the guest, um, I think I'd like to. I thought I would say Ian Chapel, but. Um, Maybe I'd, I'd go with the most cerebral one I know of in the cricket world is uh, Michael Atherton, whom I've met once um, at a cricket event along with uh, Gideon Haig, and I've had the honor of speaking with him for a few minutes, and I've, I've listened to a lot of him, and I've read his book. So I'd like to see Michael Atherton being part of a, a podcast with Saki. I think that'll be a really, really a good show, I would suspect. Saki, the floor is yours. Uh, before I respond to you, I'll try to plug in the story. He just told me the story, and it, it's better to come from him, but the way he didn't do justice to the story. So there was some sort of a book signing, and they both were a guest at an event in Sydney. And Vijay goes to on the stage, and he's spending good eight, nine minutes with Gideon Haig, and you know, uh, trying to you know, show off his knowledge and telling Gideon, hey, I know this. And Gideon, of course, is floored with our, with our man Vijay. And then they both are talking. So Atherton taps Vijay on the shoulder and say, hey, Vijay, I'm former England captain. You can talk to me a bit too. And then Vijay says, oh, I am so sorry. I was such a, I'm such a fanboy. I was just busy with Gideon. So that's, that's what Vijay Arumagam does when he, you know, uh, enters these spaces and meetings. You know, even Michael Atherton has to reintroduce himself. Sorry, Vijay, you didn't do justice. That so I had to. That's a true story because I was a little bit, uh, you know, both were on the stage and I went to uh, shake hands and I took a photo with uh, Gideon Haig and we started to talk. We started to talk about Jack Hobbs and, you know, all kinds of, you know, old stuff. And Atherton was standing next to us. He was an avid listener to his credit. And we went on and on and on, talked about a lot. I mean, he was wearing, uh, Gideon was wearing a T-shirt, which had, uh, you know, Chris Tavare and his, you know, innings from Bangalore 1981. So we were talking a lot and Atherton was listening. And then we took a pause and he just said, I'm former England captain Michael Atherton. You could talk to me as well. I was like quite embarrassed. And then, you know, I spoke a little bit. We were at the Steve War room of the SCG. I just pointed to the, the dressing room and said, that's where, you know, you declared when Graham Hick was on 98. How did he take it? <laughs> and then, you know, I tried to I tried to talk him up by saying, I heard that you've read all the, uh, you know, um, what's, who's the author? Huh? I forgot the name of the author, man. The very famous author uh, at the age of eight. Um Sorry, I, I, and Atherton said, how did you know? And I said, like, you know, it's a common knowledge that uh, uh, everyone has talked about. So, yeah, look, um, you know, that was a bit of an embarrassing thing, but, uh, Vijay, but you I, should I have, thought you, Atherton... should have, you should have just said, I don't talk to captains who have not won an Ashes series. <laughs> no, no, I really like Michael Atherton anyway. So, yeah, sorry, sorry, Sakib. I, I didn't want to tell the story, but you have plugged it in. So, you know, I have to, uh, you know, show off my, you know, 10 seconds no, no, no. of infamy, infamous uh, uh, exchange with Michael Atherton. I bet he's told the story at many dinner places that he got unrecognized, you know. But anyway, this this merited, this merit like an introduction here. So yeah, to answer your question, honestly, I think it's going to get more digitized as we go on. But I definitely want to uh, resonate something that I read in an article a few years ago. 
Yeah, look, I think uh, I would not want this to become a norm. Not because, you know, hobbyist podcasters like me will fade into the oblivion and we'll never get a good interview. But I don't want like a Virat Kohli appearing on every single podcast after retiring and telling his story. Because, you know, there is an ounce of mystique about Jordan, Imran, Kohli, Sachin, Becker, right? We live them. We, we know their stats. We know their games. We know their wins, their triumphs, their disasters, their losses. But it's good to know them through a channel. You know, like Sharda joined us in decomposing Azhar, it was good. Azhar's lifeline was pretty much well known. But it just added like nuggets like Azhar's toddler was there, Azhar invited me to the house, Armani, and then, you know, there's a there's a, a prayer rug and then there's an Armani suit and a Rolex watch. There's some grace in this storytelling, at least the way I grew up with. If Kohli and LeBron become household names and they're dropping podcast after podcast, what's the charm? Because a lot of time we love them as a myth. And I'm not saying they're some they're living in a dungeon or they're like, you know, going in hibernation. No, they are well documented, all these sports personalities. But the less is more. That's what I like. So a Sidvi can maybe bring in an Ayaz Memon one day and talk about, you know, the time you shared a flight with say Ravi Shastri. And you know, that story is an appeal. If Shastri is on every podcast, I think it loses aura call me old-fashioned then there's too much information then it's like netflix dropping 27 new movies every friday and then what to watch and then i still go to hbo and pick a movie from 1974 you know so that's my that's that's my vantage point there's too much to choose from i hope once the dust is settled the big names realize the leave the podcasting and these kind of things to to journalists or to like you know Uh, upcoming storytellers. But if you really want to get into it, then talk, you know, something that's bigger than only you can do. Like, you know, then then bring out the uh, the ugly truths, bring out the riffs, bring bring out the politicization of organization. Then I'm all ears. But if you are just going to come and give interviews to every former cricketer, then I think it loses sex appeal, I think, to be honest. And who would I like to be a guest? There are many. I uh, would have loved to talk to Bishan Bedi. Rahul Dravid is one of them. And then, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know many other greats because then you have to do so much justice to have, have them on the podcast. I don't know. So I'll just tell a funny story before I, I give it back to you. Before the Zoom days, I had Mike Proctor on the podcast and his uh, Skype link wasn't working. So we were on the phone for one hour to figure out. Then he's giving me his landline. I said, look, I cannot record from landline. And then I had to call one of my friends who tried to, you know, reinstall uh, Skype and then walk him through his audio issues. But he was so great. After like an hour of troubleshooting, we did a 45-minute podcast. So with Zoom, we don't we don't have these issues. That's amazingly patient of him. Wonderful. Sorry, right. Aftab. Uh, sorry, sorry, Aftab. Sorry, I, I forgot. Right. I, mean, I think this is why we should not record at 1 a.m. My head was a bit blank when I said Atherton and that author, it's Wilbur Smith, the famous Wilbur Smith author. He had finished all those books when he was eight, and that's why he went to um, Cambridge, right? So, like, that's what I said. But you know, when you asked me, suddenly I had to tell the story. I forgot the name of the author, so apologies for that. Well, Vijay, you've done justice to uh, Athers at least this time around, if not on the first occasion. <laughs> Sahil, you've got your hand up. Last comment uh, before we wrap up. Yeah, so I would like to put this question back to you, Aftab, as well. Like, what would be your response? Yeah, and I was going to uh, wrap up with that. So I think uh, one of my pet peeves is cricket boards across the world don't do enough to uh, 
uh, use all the archives that are sitting with them to drive more fan engagement. I think Cricket Australia is probably the only one that started doing it. Um, but for so many years, I was just hunting around on YouTube for old games that I hadn't seen, but I'd heard about, and I wanted to see, you know, video footage of it. I think Rob Linder is probably, you know, he deserves an award for what he's done for archival footage of cricket, but no board has gone to him or taken that footage or or dug up their own archives. I think BCCI, unfortunately, do that since probably destroyed all the Indian cricket from 70s and 80s that they had. Um, so I wish there was there was more um, that boards would do. I think fans have done stuff, uh, but they, there's only so much they can go. But I wish boards would do more to engage um, fans with, with archival content. And it doesn't have to be like very old archival content, right? But like, let's say an India-Australia series is coming up. The BCCI could get so much engagement on YouTube and Twitter by posting one of Pujara's innings from the 2017 series, right? Or some highlights from like, you know, passage of play that was really intense, right? Um, so I wish that would that would happen more. Um, and who's the guest I would want to hear? Well, my dream podcast combination is to have Chapelli and Steve Waugh talking to each other. Um, wish that would happen sometime. Uh, <laughs> it would be so much fun. Uh, but uh, but why why not go with a slightly less uh, conflicting uh, pair? Um, and perhaps, uh, you know, uh, let's w- would be great to have Gideon um, and and hear uh, you know him him talk about um, how he looks at uh, subjects and how he writes about them. Sakib and I did this podcast about books and you know biographies that have been written. I think Gideon is probably the best writer in the game right now. He's also a writer who, like Shada, is willing to tackle difficult subjects that other other people don't want do not want to talk about. And I'm always ears for. For those kind of folks who are who are willing to put themselves out there, so um, so yeah, I think you got Sharda already, Sakib. I mean, Gideon would probably be another. And I know we've spoken about getting Ram Guha. I mean, he's one of my favorite writers, so that that would be my wish list. But yeah, nothing would beat Chapelli and Steve Waugh in a room together. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, thank you so much. This was this was great. Um, I'm I'm glad we were able to do this. Um, and I'll I'll wrap up uh, this this hundredth podcast recording here. Sakib, thank you for keeping this engine going and more success to you and hope we'll all get together and talk on your 200th podcast as well um and we promise that uh, none of us will declare on you at 194 not out um we'll, we'll push you towards the 200 but thanks everybody for your time and uh, i hope the listeners uh, enjoy listening to this whichever platform you listen to your podcasts on we'll make sure you find us there and uh, leave us a rating leave us a like if you if you liked the content here um Till then, we'll next time we meet on this podcast again. Thank you very much.